All right, well, maybe one of the most difficult things, uh, difficult conflicts that happens within a household, whether it's a, in a marriage or whether it's in a, uh, a group home or whether it's in a college home, it, it's not around whether we should have pets or not. Um, it's not about should we get a dog or, or a cat or a bearded dragon, definitely the bearded dragon. I've come a long way on that, and I'm a big fan. Um, it's, it's not on whether, which is a, ten, you know, a, a, a tense situation. It's not whether the seat should be up or down. No, the, the, the spot where most conflict happens and where people lose it is on the temperature in the house. You know what I'm talking about. You might go set to the right temperature... And then you walk away, and magically, it's changed. Who does that? Who does that? Put up, everyone put your hands up. You're like, I don't care what you think it should be. I know the right temperature. And what is the right temperature? Someone? 73, 73 says Sarah Jane. Another? 76. You think she's absurd for going to 73. You're like, it's freezing. 76. I like to sweat. What, what's, the, what's another one? 67. I think we have these at 66, just so everyone knows. I know it's hot right now. What is it? Okay. Here's my, here's my view. Me and Kristen, we got in a lot of fights our first year of marriage over this. I wanted it around 68. She wanted it around 75. We met in the middle at 74. Um, <laughs> it's still that today. <laughs> 75 during the day when I'm not mostly there. <laughs> um, I, I think you can be a Christian and have it above 74. I think so. But like, why do you want to test that? Like, God might have a particular degree <laughs> that he wants it set at. Um, <laughs> we take our comfort seriously, don't we? Like, we, we think our comfort is real serious. Uh, another thing that, w that brought about a lot of uh, frustration early on in, in our marriage was picking the right mattress. And if you've ever had to pick the right mattress, I feel like everyone should read the Goldilocks story before going to pick a mattress. You know, the Goldilocks and the three bears. And so something is, is too soft. And so usually when you go to the mattress store, you're like, oh, I want to just like fall into that soft, luxurious thing. And then you sleep on it and you wake up and you're like, Oh, <laughs> just, everything is sore. There's no support. Uh, and then you're like, okay, from now on, I'm sleeping on wood planks. Everything's got to be super firm, right? And then, and then you're like, you're walking like you got stung by a hornet. <laughs> ah! And so you just, you got to find the just right mattress, right? We, we take our comfort serious. And I think that that mattress image, uh, to me, depicts the title of the sermon here, that there are comforts that kill. I mean, it has to be just so soft. And, but there's also comforts that renew. There's a comfort that renews to where you actually have a good night's sleep and, and you feel rejuvenated. You feel refreshed. And today, um, it, again, if this is your first Sunday, what a great time to come. Because today marks a pivotal shift in the book of Isaiah. If, if, if you've not been here before, you're so lucky. <laughs> you're so lucky. I, I, I wonder how we still have a church after this. Because uh, the first chapter to 39 chapters is all about judgment. It's, it's heavy. It is dark stuff. Uh, and, and it's about the judgment to come. And, and today there's a pivot. And now it's about hope. <laughs> 
It's about promise. It's about future deliverance. And it's just so much happier. So the first 39 chapters is, is primarily about judgment. Then chapters 40 to 66 is primarily about a future deliverance that is to come. And there's just a, a tone shift that happens uh, in, 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 ch- in chapter 40 that is just so, so beautiful. Because all of that judgment that was being prophesied about, it came. Babylon rises to power. Babylon takes over and sacks Jerusalem and kidnaps the best of the best and brings them into slavery. And now Isaiah is prophesying 150 years into the future and speaking to that group. And now you say, how does he prophesy 150 years into the future? This is where a lot of people wonder, are there multiple authors to Isaiah? But my, my thought is, and many commentators' thought is, If he's a prophet, a prophet can prophesy (laughs) into the future. And so he's prophesying 150 years into the future and saying this message here. And it's a message, very clear what it's about. It's a message of comfort to the people who've endured this slavery. And so the, the very first verse here in chapter 40 says, Comfort, comfort my people. Like, when you're in slavery... When you, you've, when you haven't heard from God in 150 years and you're wondering, where is God? Are you real? Do you care about us? It's in those times of deep, deep doubt that there is a God is when God shows up. Have you seen that to be true in your life? When you've felt the most doubt in your life, that's when God shows up and you go, I should have saw it. Should have saw it coming. And that's what happens. God comes and he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And then verse 2, it says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And so you just, you feel the warmth of God here. Like, speak tenderly, care for them. There's so much warmth and heart here. But I want us to be careful when we talk about comfort. Because I think when we, when we hear the word comfort, I think people hear different things. Some of us, when we hear comfort, we, we hear creature comforts. And we're like, okay, 66 degrees, 74, 75 degrees. Uh, we, hear, we hear creature comforts. We hear um, the massage chairs in the malls that just like shake the pain away, right? Do you guys do that? That, that always feels like a weird thing to choose to do in front of everybody. Um, <laughs> Um, Another creature comfort that is super important is your pillow, not just your mattress, but your pillow. I take my pillow with me when we go to hotels because my pillow has the right firmness. Otherwise, my my neck gets a little cranky, Uh, and then I get a little cranky, right? And so when we hear comfort, many of us hear creature comforts. But others of us, when we hear comfort, comfort my people, we don't hear that. We hear fluff. We hear fake. This is is kind of like when something really hard hits you and something really bad hits you and someone says, everything's just going to be okay. You ever had someone just say that and you're like, how do you know? How do you know everything's going to be okay? These are the platitudes. And so sometimes when we hear comfort, we hear platitude. Just, Just wash over it. You ever had someone say, hey, every cloud has a silver lining. And you're like, I'll give you a silver lining. Like, I don't know what that means. Um, but, like, it, it, it also almost causes the opposite effect. I know you're trying to console and you're trying to give these phrases like, when God closes one door, what is it? Opens another. 
I wish that door was still open, <laughs> right? Like, I think sometimes we, we hear those phrases, and they, they, they feel like they're going to make us feel good, because, but we all know that they're just trying to make us feel good. They're, just, they're hitting the surface level. They're not hitting the root level. And probably the one that I, I think most of us love the most um, is the one that says, well, you know, it could be worse. <laughs> Who likes that one? No one likes that one. The other ones I understand. Don't say that one. <laughs> like, it could be worse. You could have gotten this disease, or it could be worse. Like, I don't want any part of that. Like, all right, I get what people are trying to do. You're trying to, you're trying to console. But I, I still think those are better efforts. There's a better motivation than the person who is constantly negative. Um, and so when something bad happens, their response isn't like, oh, it's going to get better. Their response is, yeah, life sucks. Uh, um, and this is, these, these are some, seems some negative ones. Let me give you some ideas from here. Uh, this is from a demotivator's website here. Ambition. The journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. <laughs> just frame that, put that on your wall, in your office, and you just won't care about anything in life, okay? Uh, the next one, potential. Not everyone gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. Uh, the next one, adulthood is like looking both ways before crossing the street and then getting hit by an airplane. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in these phrases. <laughs> There's a lot of truth, but maybe they aren't needed in that moment. <laughs> I, I appreciate the honesty from the, the, the only negative crowd here. But sometimes I need some encouragement. And so I understand why someone is giving the fluffy, uh, it's all going to work out, everything's going to be fine. Because you're trying to comfort the person, you're trying to give them hope. But is it hope that actually meets the real issue, the real thing that's going on? Or is it like giving a kid ice cream when he's sad? You're like, okay, giving kids ice cream when they're sad, maybe okay, good thing to do, let's not rule that out. But does it meet the real issue of why the child is sad? And that's what I think sometimes we worry when we hear, comfort, comfort my people. And you're like, okay, sure, just cheer up. Um, yeah, Christianity is just continuing to be the opiate of the masses. It just makes you feel better. Like, I don't know if God's real, but it makes me feel better. You ever feel like that? You're like, you know what, maybe, maybe that's where I'm at today. I don't even know if God is real, but it seems to be working out if I act like I believe. And that's where I think sometimes we wonder is that what Christianity actually is? Is it just a thing to make us feel better about ourselves? And I don't know. Like, do we ever actually deal with the real issues? Do we actually ever deal with the real issues that are, that are afflicting us? And I think sometimes we can be so addicted to our comforts that they mask the real problems in our lives. That, that our comforts are actually killing us. Like, do I eat because I'm sad? Do I eat because I'm happy? I find many reasons to eat now. <laughs> like, what, what is it? And what I've started to realize is that we can be so addicted to comforts, and that we, whether it's social media, whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether it's sweets, whatever it may be, all of these things are just another form of being addicted to drugs. 
Like drugs come in many different forms. And they are medicating our lives so we don't actually deal with the real issues. Isaiah is not talking about that. He's not coming to just medicate your life. Isaiah comes with some strength behind the words of comfort. Verse 3 tells us where the strength is coming from. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah is saying something big is coming. Prepare the way. This is today, actually, is the 30th year anniversary of the unveiling of Jurassic Park. Ooh. (laughs) Did you know that? I'm old, right? (laughs) And in that movie, there's this great scene where they're in the car, and there's that cup of water. You can see it now, can't you? And you just see the vibration in the water. You know, something big is coming. And then you just, you don't even hear it at first. You just see the water vibrate. And then you start hearing, boom. You're like, something huge is coming. That's what verse 3 is. Something big is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. And whenever in ancient times that they, they made highways, the reason to do so was because the rulers and royalty were coming. And royalty is coming. And this royalty would come through so that you could, you could make a path so that the king could ride through there. And now Yahweh in Israel is coming. Where are they coming? They're coming back home. That's the hope that's happening right here. You're in slavery, but prepare the way of the Lord for you to come back home. And so he's not just, he's not just giving them toxic positivity. There is strength behind it. And so it's a different call to comfort. Now, at this point, the Israelites had to be asking, is, is God for real? Can, can God actually do that? We've been in slavery for 150 years, or is this just another platitude of things will work out? Like, can God actually do something? I haven't seen God in 150 years, and in the city where I'm living, there are statutes of, of Babylon's heroes everywhere. There are statutes of Babylon's gods everywhere. And the Israelites in that day had to struggle with the temptation to believe in a God that they could see versus a God they couldn't see in Yahweh. Do you struggle with that? That if only I could see God, then it would be much easier to actually confirm my beliefs, to actually lean into them. That's what they're struggling with. Can God do it? And this is where Isaiah's comfort is very different than the comfort we think about. True comfort is not circumstantial. It's theological. How do you say that word? Theological. Here we go. (laughs) True comfort. Let me say it a second time. True comfort is not circumstantial. It's theological. That did not go over as well as I thought it would. A comfort (laughs) that doesn't dull, a comfort that doesn't kill our senses, but it renews us. It's theological. Why can't I say the word? Let's have, a, let's have a voice lesson here. Everyone say theological. Ah, with, with me for a second. You say it and I'll repeat it. Go ahead. One, two, three. You said it. Great. I'll, I'll repeat it later. <laughs> That's different. Okay. Verse 12. Moving on. Verse 12. <laughs> Verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Now, everyone here knows how much water there is in the world, right? 
you know that it's 71% of the world is covered in water. You knew it was something like that, right? You knew it was something huge, something big, but 71% of the world is covered in water. You're like, I kind of figured that's what it was. There's a lot of water on the earth. But how much water is that? That is 326 million trillion gallons. Gallons. <laughs> Not Harry Potter. Million trillion gallons. It's 326, and you're like, okay, that still doesn't seem like a lot. I don't know. I, that seems like kids making up numbers. Like, I'm a million billion years old or whatever. You're like, no, you don't use that phrase together. They actually do. According to my friend Google, it's 326 million trillion gallons of water. What does that look like? Let's, let's, let's put out the zeros here for us. It's 326 That's how much water there is in the world. And God's saying, who has measured that much water in his hands? That's how big our God is. Now, everyone put up your right hand and stretch out your fingers. All right, a span is the distance between your thumb and your pinky. And, and, and Isaiah here tells us that God has measured the heavens with the span of his hand. And it's not just the sky, it's the galaxies. And we're still learning about galaxies. We're like, oh, it continues to go, and it continues to go. And now apparently there's aliens. Uh, there's, there's, <laughs> it's everywhere, right? Who has measured the heavens with the span of your hand? God can do that. Then he can say, that's about right. That's how big our God is. And you might be saying, interesting factoids, Slim. Why does this matter? Well, remember, they're asking the question, can God do it? Can God deliver us? Can God bring us back? And God's response is, do you know who I am? Do <laughs> you realize all that I've created? <laughs> can God do it? Like, can God take on the... The mighty Babylonians? Like, are you kidding? <laughs> I've made the Babylonians. I've, I've created all that's out there. I've created all the stars and the skies and the water. And you're asking, can I do it? Like, God's tone starts to get argumentative as you read through chapter 40. It's comfort, comfort, comfort. And then it gets kind of argumentative because it's emphasizing the word not. You can tell by that word not, it changes the tone. Because the passage doesn't say, hey, did you know that God's the creator? And all these things? That's not how it says. It doesn't say, hey, did you hear that God can do all these things? That's not what it says. What it says in verse 28, it says, have you not known? Have you not heard? And so what God is trying to say is, what I'm trying to teach you right now is not new news. You've not known about this? You've not heard about this? I'm not trying to impart revelation. I'm trying to invoke recollection. You should know this. This is who the God that you serve and worship is. Like, God isn't dead, and you know that. God is on his throne, and you know that. God is the king and the creator of this universe, and you know this. This makes me think about why we have church every single Sunday. Most of us already know this stuff. We know that God is the creator. We know that Jesus is our savior. We're like, okay, we get it. So why come to church once every week? Well, I think we forget it every week. <laughs> I forget it every week. I, get, I, I, I need to come in and to be reminded by you singing those beautiful truths that he is king and that he is glorious and that he will save me. And I can be reminded by this table of what God has done for me. We, we do it every week because we forget it every week. And so God is trying, like, have you not known? 
Have you not heard? This is, this is something that we should be, you should have in your being here. But we keep forgetting it. Verse 28 goes on and says, The Lord is the everlasting God. This God is not bound by time or timelines or calendars. This God is from beginning to end, the Alpha, the Omega. Right? This is the everlasting God. It's the creator of the ends of the earth. And that is good news. It is good news that God is the creator. For anyone who, who might begin on a plane later this, this year, it's good news that God is the creator, right? That he, he, he has created things and they, they, they work and they continue to work. That, that, that gravity works at the level it should at that time is good news to you. That, that wind lifts giant metal objects in that way is good news to you. That the creator has created things in such this beautiful way. It's good news if, you've, if you're moving into a new season of life and you're wondering, like, oh, this is going to be hard. But God can create something new and beautiful there, too. It's good news when you go to the hospital because you know that the, the, the creator of the universe can also knit me back together, right? It's good news when you go to a funeral because not only is God the creator, but he's the recreator. And that dead doesn't stay dead. That God creates and he recreates and brings back to life. This is the good news that, that the creator of the ends of the world. And then and it says, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And at this point, you have to say, like, okay, we get it. I, I cannot box God into this, this nice, neat little thing. There's so much about God that I cannot fathom. If I say this is exactly who God is, this one feature, and I miss the thousands of other features, I've, I've lost it. I've lost who this God is. I, you cannot fathom who this God is. It's unsearchable. And so we have to say, okay, I will not box God in. God can deliver. God can do anything he wants to do. And God has delivered in Jesus Christ, in the ultimate deliverance here. When Christ came into the world and he's delivered us from the dominion of death and darkness and sin, and he's brought us back to life. Now, this is a message to the people in Isaiah's time. In their time, they had to wait for that deliverance to hear about Jesus. But it's, it's a long time between Isaiah and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. That's a long time to wait for them. So what's his message in the meantime? And I think many of us are wondering, what's our message in the meantime? Because we're on the other, other side of this. We look back, and yeah, Jesus came. And we have a, a better view of, of God's deliverance. We're also waiting a second deliverance in Jesus' final coming. And so what's God's message in the meantime? And that's where I think we have to see that God gives strength now. God gives you strength today in the meantime. There is a message of hope, not just one day, someday, but right now that God will give you strength. This is, this is where we get this, this coffee cup verse. This is the verse that you see in all the coffee cups. This is the one if you go to the Christian bookstore. They have eagles everywhere. Uh, you're like, ah! Uh, there's so many eagles uh, about this verse. And I get it. It can be overused and overproduced you know, and mass-produced and whatever. But there's a reason this verse is everywhere because it's just so beautiful. Let's look at it. Verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Who needs that verse today? I need to be renewed. 
I need strength today. Like, I, the beauty of this verse here is that, that God is saying, I'm giving this to you now. I want to give this to you now, not one day, someday. That even yous grow tired and weary. And if you're a parent, you know your kids, and you're like, they never get tired. <laughs> even they can get tired. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. There will be a supernatural strength, more s- stronger than the unending energy of those kiddos. Stronger than that. Something supernatural and powerful will happen right there. Something stronger than a good night's sleep on a Tempur-Pedic bed. Something beautiful will get, get you renewed. If you come into this church this, this morning and you are tired and you're weary, God can, can give you strength this morning and he wants to offer it to you. This supernatural strength. And some of us, if you've been through some hard things in life, you're like, I don't even want strength to sprint. I just want strength to walk. And that's what it talk, it, he promises as well. And if you look back in your life, if you've, after been through some very hard things, you can say, I don't know how I got through it. All I did was just put one foot in front of the other. How did you get through it during those times? You just put one foot in front of the other. And who gave you the strength to do that? That's what God is talking about here. You just had the strength just to put one foot in front of the other, just to walk. Strength just to walk. It also talks about strength just to stand. It slows it down. This is the pinnacle just to get up and to be, to be there. There's strength that God is going to give you just to stand in the midst of those hardships. That is what God is promising you there to renew your strength. You ever wonder if God is present? Can God do it? That's what this passage is for. There's a great illustration by a, a older preacher, teacher, speaker, friend, a um, guy named uh, Tony Campolo. And Tony, uh, he's an older guy, um, and he was sharing a story about when he was a kid, his, his mom was getting worried about him going to school all by himself. And on his, on, on, on his trip to the school, she was worried that, you know, something might happen to him. And so she decided she was going to pay uh, a babysitter to watch him and bring him to school every day and take him home from school every day. And so she paid this babysitter 15 cents a day. And, and again, this is a long time ago. <laughs> Can you get by with that? Uh, um, and Tony, as a, I think he was eight-year-old, eight, eight years old, was as an eight-year-old would might think, like, I'm a big boy. You don't need to, I don't need a babysitter. And, like, and he got mad about that. But babysitter took him to and from school uh, for about three months. And then when he came back to his mom and said, Mom, I'm a big boy. I don't need a babysitter. In fact, I have a great idea. Instead of paying her 15 cents a day, my proposal is you pay me five cents a day so I can walk myself to school, and it's like you're making 10 cents a day now. <laughs> and to sweeten the deal, every nickel that I get, I'll put in a jar, and I'll, I'll save it up to give my, my sister's Christmas presents. And then the, the biggest turn of events in the world, she agreed to this. <laughs> she said yes. And so he went every single day, he got paid a nickel a day, and he bought his sister's Christmas presents. Later in life, he's recapping this story with his sisters and his mom at a family reunion, and was just saying, was, was recapping how, how independent he was as a kid, and how, how much he just did his own thing, and um, his sisters and his mom just like laughed at him, were like, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. He's like, yep, 
don't you remember where I, those great Christmas presents came from? And they're like, you just don't know, do you? And his mom said, Tony, I need you to know something. You were never alone. You were never alone. The minute you walked out the door, I wait till you got two houses down, and then I just started walking right behind you. And then when you turn around, I hide behind a tree. And then at 3 o'clock, I go to the school, and I hide behind another tree, and I'd follow you home. And his sisters were like, didn't you notice that she never welcomed you at the front door when you came in? <laughs> she had to go around the back of the house, and it was like, oh, hey. <laughs> right? And Tony's like, no, 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 no. I got you these great presents. I paid you. Yes, I paid you five cents a day so that you could believe that you were the big boy. But I want you to know now, Tony, you are never, ever alone. Don't you ever forget that. And what I want, I think what many of us need to hear today, if we're going through some hard stuff in our lives, is that you are never, ever, ever alone. And that all you have to do is wait on the Lord and hope in the Lord who is right there with you and he will give you strength. The eagles are soaring, but they're not flapping their wings. They're, they're coasting on the wind that's out there. There's a supernatural strength to lift us up, to build us, and to carry us along in that way. That you are never, ever, ever alone. Let's put our hope and strength in the one who is right there with us. And so let me give you three things to, to go with. Sometimes after sermons, we're like, sounds cool. What do I do? I'm going to try to get better at giving you some, uh, some practical things like this. And so the first thing I want to give you is to behold our God. To behold your God is your practical application here today, number one. Verse 9 says this, Lift your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, says to, to the cities of Judah. Behold your God. And so what do you do when you, are, when you are feeling alone, when you're feeling despondent or anxious? Shift your gaze to behold our God to look at the victory parade that, that began 2,000 years ago and what Christ has done to deliver and pardon you from your sins and to raise you from the dead. Behold what God has done for you because God loves you that much. And so the minute we start to doubt, does God care? Does God love me? Behold what he's, what he's told us about himself. He cares for you so, so deeply. For God didn't just love the world, God so loved the world. Do you hear that? And if, if sometimes just sitting in front of the Bible isn't enough, I hope you can enjoy it. But sometimes we just need to get out. And so a very, very small practical thing you can do is go see the Creator's creation. Go for a walk outside. <laughs> go to the beach. Go to the mountains. Go for a walk and see just the tree bark and go like, if God has that much detail and care for this tree, of course he cares for you and me. And so behold your God in ways that you, you can see what God has done for you. That's one. Two, sometimes we can get so stuffed from comfort food that we get full before we have the main dish. Is that true? You eat so much chips and queso that you don't really want the main dish. Sometimes we get so stuffed on the comfort that we actually don't want the Lord. We, we've been comforted by all the things that comfort us. We don't actually want God himself. And so I encourage you this week to fast from a comfort. I won't tell you what that comfort is. Only you know what that comfort is. What do you run to 
when you're feeling anxious? Is it your phone? You just medicate that way? Is it a sweet? Is it entertainment? What, what is your comfort? What is your go-to? And if we fast from that, many times we can say, oh, I'm going to be starving for something. <laughs> well, that's the point, right? It's, it's to, to fast from that so that we can feast on Christ to push us in that way. And then the third thing I, I, I encourage you is, is to comfort another. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Have you gone through some stuff? God says, as I've comforted you, you might be able to comfort someone else. And so pinpoint where that is in you. Pinpoint that pain. Pinpoint that pain point. Where is it? What have you gone through that you needed the comfort of God? And God's saying, I've comforted you so that you can now comfort one another. There are people in your midst, in this very church, maybe in the same pew as you, that need that same comfort. God has uniquely equipped only you to do that because you've been through it. And so look at this list here. Behold your God. Behold how, how glorious and beautiful and loving this creator is. Fast from a comfort to feast on, the, on Christ. And then three, let's comfort one another. Let me pray for us.